and welcome to Inspiring Women Leaders, the podcast about leadership by women only, from which everyone can learn. Inspiring Women Leaders aims to showcase the extensive leadership knowledge and practical skills of its incredible guests, and to both inspire and educate its listeners, helping them acquire the know-how necessary to become better leaders themselves. Without further ado, I'd now like to welcome my guest. So please, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Inspiring Women Leaders. Today, it's my absolute pleasure and complete honor to welcome to the show my friend and fellow physician coach, Dr. Sarah Smith. Dr. Smith is a rural family physician in Edson, Alberta, and also known as the charting coach for physicians. Dr. Smith has been a medical educator since very early on in her medical career, with her first formal appointment as a regional medical educator just two years post-graduation as a family physician. She's taken the skills and knowledge from her family physician and medical education careers to become the charting coach. Dr. Smith is now helping hundreds of physicians get home with their charting and paperwork done and encourages physicians to create sustainable clinical medicine for themselves. So that is an absolutely amazing and inspiring thing for her to do. I'm sure you can all agree. So, Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Welcome. It's, it's lovely to see you. So nice to be here. Thanks so much, Adam. So, Sarah, um, in your own words, uh, please would you tell the audience a bit more about yourself, um, including what your current work roles are and what leadership positions you currently hold or have held in the past, please? Oh, this uh, um, great question. So, currently, a full scope family physician um, doing, and then what I mean by that is a panel of patients in the community, long term care emergency department in patient medicine in our rural community. Um, and some palliative care as well. Um, and then my other leadership positions. So, yeah, I do um, have a program that I run for physicians where I'm helping them get home with their charting and paperwork done and also become the uh, executive decision makers of their clinical day. Um, I'm also on the board of our medical centre, so part of the five decision makers within our medical um team of 15 we nominate five to be on the board um, I'm part of the um, physician champions in our region which is the physicians who are looking to improve their practice management and make uh, strong supportive teams building patient medical home done some advisor work for the Alberta Medical Association uh, I have a faculty position with the University of Alberta to help our third-year medical students who are in community for a year do their whole third year with us. And I was site coordinator of that until I gave that position over. And I think succession planning and handing on leadership roles is another important part of being a leader is identifying who could take that position from you and then handing it over to your next person as that is required of your day. Uh, so I just saw that my day was getting busy with my uh, coaching practice and my day-to-day. -day, so I was happy to hand over hats. So I felt like a hat store last year. I was giving away hats um, <laughs> over and over. I had so many on my plate. And I'm like, no, no, it's time to hand this one off, hand that one off, um, just to be able to free up some more time to do the work that I'm doing with physicians. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks so much for that. Um, wow, that's a that's a lot of role. I can I mean the roles that you're still 
doing there's still quite a few isn't there so oh yeah yes uh way way more hats than uh than you could cope with i'm sure um a couple of things you mentioned in that so there was the um the executive clinical management decision making did you say uh yeah, yeah. What, what, what do you mean by that so as physicians, we are the executive decision makers within our clinical day. So we make the decisions that matter. So when we have a patient in the room, we're doing our highest level work. We need our highest brain in the room with the patient. We're listening to the history of what's happening. We're doing the physical exam. We're putting all of that through the illness script and we're coming up with the differential diagnosis, um, the assessment, the plan. Those are very high level decisions. So we already know we're the executive decision makers in our clinical day, but take that back out to your workstation where you're trying to get that work list done or that chart note completed And you're just looking at a screen. So when you think about your staff, your nurses, your secretaries, they all they see is you looking at a computer. Well, they do that too. So there's no problem for them to interrupt you over and over and over and over throughout your clinical day. But you're doing that same high-level work in your inbox. You're taking that hemoglobin and you're deciding, does this number, what was going on with that patient? What was our plan once we had this number? How do I best communicate that to my patient? What is the steps now for the plan? How does the plan change with this hemoglobin? You're in the middle of a complex clinical decision and somebody says, oh, by the way, Mr. Jones turned up 10 minutes late. Will you still see him? And you're like, where was I? What was I doing? Uh, what else is happening in my day? You're making all these micro decisions before you say, you know what? I have to pick up the kids at four. So it's a no. I can't yeah. see Mr. Jones. He's 10 minutes late. And then you're like, where was I? What was I doing? Oh yeah. Hemoglobin. Oh yeah. Sally. Okay. Back into Sally's chart, back into that clinical decision. So as we start to help physicians realize Really, what they do is so important. It's worth those hard conversations with our staff and team to say, hey, when I'm busy in this inbox, and they don't know you're busy in your inbox, I can't be disturbed. I need you to come to me at this time or that time to to give me a list of concerns, or you might have a different way you're going to do your clinical day. But actually thinking about our clinical day, like, what would be the best time to meet with my team and hear their questions of the day? How could I have communicated to them well earlier in the day that I have kid pick up at four? If people come late, it's a no today, or it's a yes today. Just put them in. Don't need to disturb me. The answer to that question today will be yes. So that level of empowerment for physicians is part of what we do within designing our clinical day to help get us home, which is what I love to do. Get everybody home no homework (laughs) that's fantastic that's thank you for explaining that that um essentially you're you're kind of giving them permission to be well just step in step into that role yeah of of boss and 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 be empowered and and have the courage to do that so that's that's fantastic that's really uh really worthwhile um and I mean, I, I think of you um, very much as, as someone really, really leading the way. So a very prominent leader in the the charting world and, and getting doctors to complete their charts in a in a timely and efficient manner. So, um, in, you know, how 
how do you feel about that um, as a as a leadership role? Do you do you even consider yourself to be a leader in that role? Because I, I I consider you to be. Great question. So I know that there are a lot of organisations doing EMR optimization workshops, and um, come there are some coaches like in that sector who are helping physicians really with the starting dot phrases, optimizing templates, like that type of coaching. When I coined the term charting coach, it came out of a, it's a, from a different perspective. So it's not about the EMI you work with, your dot phrases, your um, number of patients you're seeing in a day. We take all of that, those facts of your day, and we help you to figure out what is my most simple solution what is the math of my day? How many things in my inbox? How long does it take? How many patients do I have to see? How long do I have to see them? How do I get paid? And then optimize it so that you can get home having completed the math of the day in the most effective way for you. So it's an individualized approach um, with physicians within the environments that they work. And I do think that I get to say I was the original charting coach because I made that term up. So I do feel like I'm a leader in the sector with regards to the coaching piece of getting physicians home with everything done. And I just love this work. And it came out of a long struggle for myself in this area. So 15 years doing family physician work in a number of different offices with a number of different EMRs, we even jumped continent from Australia to Canada and still not able to get home with my charting and paperwork done. I'm thinking it can't be the EMR. It can't be the patients. It can't be the clinic. It can't be the appointment style. It must be me. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to do some, um, when I realized that I was done with this evening and weekend, this paperwork robbing my life. Yeah. It took me a full 18 months to, to do the work with a general life coach because there were no physician coaches helping in this space. They were yeah. all helping you leave medicine. Yeah. Not how do I stay? Because I still liked the patients. I had no other way of earning income, right? I had no other skill set like that. Yeah. And I was the sole income earner for my household. And so I had to do that hard work. And then once I'd figured it out, I'm like, I cannot keep this to myself. This is incredible. Going home with no homework after 15 years of completely the opposite is so unbelievable. I have to share this. So I went on to do my certification to be able to help physicians do the same for themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. That's, I mean, to me, really, really leading the way, demonstrating to them that there is another way you know we get so bogged down don't we in the the busyness of our day and we're in our little silos in our room as you say going through the path results and all so and so hemoglobin and uh we just can't we don't have the bandwidth to think that there might be another way so we need someone like you to come along and, and just look this is this is a way another way the better way um so that's it's, it's great it's great i think it's fantastic um so what what do you would you say is your personal leadership style 
Okay, so I was having a think about this question and I have coached a lot of residents and uh, medical students uh, from a, like my very first job as an intern, the uh, medical superintendent of the hospital comes over to me and he's like, you're good at this, like the paperwork part, like writing too many notes, being a perfectionist in my notes. Yes, that was me as well. Um, you're going to teach this other intern who's struggling how to do it. I, oh, <laughs> thank you I think <laughs> so I'm talking like the very first day on the job kind of level of being a teacher so I, I always um, have had an interest in and I guess it was voluntold to start with but then yeah. learning the skills of how do I help impart knowledge to others um, so we have studies that help us understand that when a student has a has a level of respect for their teacher and they're in a supportive environment, um, then the coaching or feedback that they received will be more likely to be taken and acted upon in a more positive mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. So instead of kind of wasting your breath on this learner that's never going to get it and, and doesn't understand, it does no respect for you, once we foster that relationship, then we can be more um, direct with our coaching and really help them achieve things that they that are going to be uncomfortable. Yeah, It's uncomfortable to tell your students, hey, being late is unprofessional. And then you're going to be met with the eye roll if they have zero respect for you too. Mm. And there will be no change will happen on the other end of that. Mm. So step one is that relationship and creating a nurturing, supportive relationship. So my students know you are welcome here. You are my shadow. If I am doing something, I want you in the room. I asked to have you. You yeah. are welcome here. You are here to learn and I am here to guide and I will say things to you from time to time to help you, not in order to punish you or belittle you. And it might be weird things like your handwriting sucks, but it's coming <laughs> from a, a mentor who wants the good for you, who sees you as a colleague and is helping you walk the path to get there. So when I say, no, that's not how we would approach this, it's coming from the, and here's what we could do differently or how could we do it differently? Not a, you're wrong. Yeah, yeah. And so that is my style. It can sound abrupt, but it comes from love. <laughs> yeah, 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 no. Well, I, yeah, I, I would say I've been on the receiving end of that style from, from yourself, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, really, you just it, it comes with your everywhere. already. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> and I, I very much know it comes from a place of love. Um, so uh, I'm sure all your students do too. And um, yeah, it, it, it does sound like you, you create a very uh, a warm, nurturing, welcoming space for them. Um, you know, there are um, tutors out there who you know, do it because well, maybe they, they started off having an interest and then you know, that the rest of the job just kind of gets in the way and makes them feel like the medical students an extra unnecessary thing to deal with. And, and you know, they end up keeping them just because they get some income from the the, the local medical, you know, um, education authority or whatever. So, um, but uh, yeah, no, very, 
very nice thank you thank you for that so um I think you sort of alluded to to this already um, in, in terms of the how you developed the uh, charting coach business. Um, but actually, you know, going back, you went into medical education leadership very early on in your career. What was your your journey to to that leadership role? Hmm. Trying to think how I became a leader there. I know, for instance, as we were doing our um, finishing up our fellowship for uh, becoming general practitioners in Australia, mm. uh, we would collect as a group and, as a, I guess, as a, looking back, the leadership style was, "Hey, this is the result I want to create for myself. This is what I'm going to need. I'm going to need a team around me. This is what I want to teach them. Hey, who wants to come along? And I'm going to do this, you know, training, and we're going to meet together. And we're going to give ourselves the opportunity to become uh, very skilled in this position, uh, and then." The same would happen within organizations. I would say, hey, this is, I can see this piece missing within um, resident training. And if we could do it this way, that might be helpful. And they're like, hey, do you want to come and lead that? <laughs> like, I, yeah. I guess so. And then I, when I came to, um, it's, it's a lot clearer when I came to Canada, I could very clearly see the differences in those safety nets for patients and the patient recall systems that we had in Australia that were completely missing in Canada. Canada when I got here and the EMR wasn't set up to be able to find the patients who were due for their mammograms, for instance. So immediately I'm like, okay, we have a problem. I need to set up these safety nets because that's something I, I, I as a physician need to help to create a safe environment for my patients. So I immediately started being part of that physician champion for improving patient medical home. And then obviously when you start talking this talk, the Alberta Medical Association's out there trying to do the same work in, um, in Alberta for their physicians. So they're like, okay, and kind of pluck you out and be like, hey, you're doing good things over there. Tell us more. How can we help you? And then so that kind of pops you into new positions where they ask you to be an advisor for something that they're developing or can you be part of this group of physician champions so that we can um, come together and, and if you are skilled in an area and you have a voice, like you've learned that um, what I say matters and, and so it came out of patient advocacy to start yeah. with, like yeah. this matters for my patients. I want it. And it turns into this is why you want it for your patients within your medical home. And this is how you can start to create it. And I do have that strategist brain. I can kind of see all the pieces and yeah. can figure out how to pop them together. I love that about my brain. I really do. And so when I get in an environment where there's a puzzle uh, that I thrive. I'm like, I love a puzzle, like the undifferentiated medical patient, bring it on. Like, I just <laughs> love that constellation of symptoms. And I love telling the patient, I have no idea yet, but don't worry, we're going to figure it out. Yeah. And, and that brings me joy and makes my brain super interested. Um, medical, I'm on the medical advisor council for the Alberta College of Family Physicians. I'm not really sure how I got that role. I was at a conference and somebody's like, hey, you're rural, you should be on this committee. So I think sometimes it's simply you're in the right place at the right time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you have to, you have to put yourself in that place in the, in the first but place. So yeah. But you're in that yeah. place. And, and, yeah. and it's interesting how people um, will be talking about you if you're doing interesting things. Yeah. They'll be like, Hey, I know over there in Edson, they're doing some fun things with their EMR. We should kind of figure out who's leading that and, and yeah. pick their brain. I think a lot of that happens too, that we're not necessarily aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so it sounds, uh, I suppose, a couple of couple of things um, that jumping out for me. So you 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 come you come into a new a new environment, a new workspace, or something like that, new country even, um, and you see some you see some some gaps, some holes, some problems, some uh, some things that you can solve. Your solving brain can can get get teeth into, um, and you know some some doctors are like oh well you know quite apathetic you know i've just got to get on with my job and keep my head down and whatever but you're like no no i need to mm-hmm. i need mm-hmm. to solve this because it's going to be good for my patients so yeah. you're you know you you notice the problem and then unlike some people you then are proactive about it and you uh you look into you know to to, to finding that solution um and often you're quite innovative it's it sounds and you you know you come up with things and you know people kind of notice it but so that's that's the one side and then the other side is like you know the way you've said here's something we need to do who wants to come along with me and do it so you're sort of quite a a sort of collaborative but you're you're leading the collaboration you know it's like you know who want who wants to come along not not you know that you've you've got to come along and do this with me uh, you want people who are willing don't you and uh, uh you know and you kind of like foster the team um in that way i think i don't know is that yeah. is that fair um so building strong teams is super important so even though you have a hundred great ideas you need your team to say we can't do all of them we need to do the the first one and then having to kind of pull back and be like okay i get it my team are not all strategists they don't all have this buzz about the the idea and yes we can do one thing at a time and so as a team when we would meet together within the practice that would be what happened was we'd meet together we'd put all our ideas onto the table we'd kind of have a bit of an idea together what what is achievable what is it possible um, and what could we get started on and then feedback is it working what else do we need to change about it in regards to the the physician recruitment about this problem. Like if we were going to build these safety nets in the clinic, um, do we have the permission of the other 15 doctors Mm. or how do we get them on board or how do we get them to at least agree to it? And I, so having the, how do we make this pleasant for them Mm. so that they can agree, agree to it so we can go have permission to go ahead because if they're like we don't like that idea don't go ahead then we can't um and within our clinic we could just go ahead with whatever we wanted they're like how did you do that i'm like well i just let them know how it would help them yeah it's like if we were able to do this on your behalf in the background to save you all of this work would you be okay with that they're like of course like great. And if it requires yeah. zero effort on your part, is that okay? They're like, absolutely. Because we knew immediately that the doctor is a bottleneck. You've got so much on your plate 
that if we ask you to do a step, that's where it'll stop. Yeah, yeah. So we had to figure out how do we do this without the doctors mm-hmm. needing to be a step within the process, what is the non-physician work and how can we systematize that so that this can happen without needing them to do anything new? And that was so key for our doctors saying, of course, do that. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's good. So, yeah, so the doctor's workload is the the rate limiting step, um, but eventually you can remove that step because you can put things in place that actually reduce the workload. And then yeah. the bottleneck kind of kind of opens up, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like that. Um, and uh, it it sounds like you're <laughs> you're very good at getting your team to buy in to the ideas. I think that's one of the things you know. You have to have this clear vision, don't you? And be able to articulate it and be persuasive. Otherwise, yeah. it's no point in having the ideas and the vision if you can't bring bring others on board. So, yeah. Lots and lots of leadership skills there. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. No problem. Um, so, yeah, I, I just wondered um, in your career, were there any doctors senior to you, female or male, that that helped you rise? So I had very strong rural mentors. So whenever there was an opportunity to go rural in my training, I always took it. And the, what, there's a couple of reasons. One is city medicine was not my sport. It was way too bland within the family practice, um, at least. Um, I have the uh, cemented in my brain. My uh, One of my first family medicine rotations was in a city practice. I was told to sit on the chair. I was clearly not welcome. Any patient examination happened behind the curtain. I was still to sit in my chair. I was dressed down in the way I was dressed the, when I showed up the first time. I was told like the standard of care, like the standard of dress would be way higher than I'd turned up in and and those types of things. So that was a female um, family physician and that was not a fun experience. Um, The opposite of that was going country and we are suddenly I'm part of the team and being shown the back end of being a doctor by um, living in their house while I was there for two weeks and really seeing this, the true stresses on a family and a physician as part of a rural community. Um, you know, it's 8.30 at night, nobody's cooked dinner yet, everybody's tired. How do we now put food in front of the kids so that they can eat and go to bed while you've just finished seeing 40 patients for the day? Um, but Rather wow. than discouraging me, right? This was a oh, I can see where the gaps are. I can see how I could understand that component of rural care and how I could maybe do some things to prepare for that if yeah, I was yeah. to be this physician in this community. Um, but just the joy of the um, uh, being told. Uh, that I'm capable, throw yourself in there, do fun things, uh, that uh, it it was two weeks a year from second year all the way through my medical career. So I got to go back to that community each year for two weeks. So that rural mentor, uh, I credit him for my love and joy and um, clinical uh, courage yeah, in yeah. a rural environment. Like the ability to say, listen, I'm the only doctor for 400 kilometres, it's me or no one. So let's do our best. 
Yeah, yeah. Because that was literally wow. we, were, we were six hours from Perth, Perth the city. Yeah, and so we would ring the city and say, "I've got this, you know, motor vehicle accident. I've got a brain injury. This is what I've done to stabilize him." And they're like, "What is a CT show?" And you're like, <laughs> "Dude." <laughs> I'm six hours away from you. You're the one with the CT scanner. Yeah, I'm in the outback. Uh, <laughs> Our patient will be there yeah. in six hours. Then you can tell me what's on the CT scan. <laughs> yeah, I'm um, not even speaking to you on a mobile phone because there's no signal. It's a special kind of like radio thing that you have out there. Yeah. Oh, gosh. So I think over, um, as I moved into more internship, um, we had uh the the we had some really great supervisors and i guess what makes them great is that they loved pulling you up through your like they would identify you as somebody who was interested and wanted to learn and they would then foster that by giving you opportunities above your pay grade does that make sense mm-hmm. so i was sitting at i just vividly remember sitting at the desk writing my notes as an intern and the emergency department physician comes in and he's a big towering ginger guy and he taps me on the shoulder literally taps me on the shoulder and he's like and he and he kind of motions his finger and he says come with me I'm like oh no I'm in (laughs) deep trouble (laughs) and he pulls me into the trauma bay gives me a set of sterile gloves, sits me down. He's like, cut there. I didn't even know what we were doing. So I made a cut. He's like, deeper, longer. And then I'm putting a chest tube in a guy in a trauma. I'd never even seen a chest tube, didn't know what a chest tube was. And now there's blood coming out of it. I'm like, did I just kill this guy? He's like, good job. (laughs) (laughs) He cured a hematorax. So, so having... So again, that was in a rural environment. That was where we were. We felt part of a team. We felt like we were required to be there as part of the medical team. We were adding usefulness. We weren't just, you know, got a scum. Yeah. Um, we were actually asked to see patients they wanted us to hand over. They were encouraging us to speak differently and be concise and be uh, advocating for our patients. So they, we learned those skills Um in that environment, and at times it could feel uh, uh, not not a it's not bullying, but it could have been interpreted as bullying for some of my colleagues. Like say that differently, um, give me the important things first. Like those sorts of words can feel really harsh, yeah. but when you know it's coming from a respected person who is interested in you rising, yeah. It's so different. So that was how we were supported in that environment is we were told you're part of the team. We want you here. We're going to help you. We like you. And we're going to say things that sound abrupt, but it's to help guide you. It's not because you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And if something was going wrong, it wasn't a shouting match at you in a public space. It was in the office telling you, hey, this is what I think you need to work on and here's how you do that. Yeah. Which is so important. Yeah. The, the yeah. public dressing down feels terrible when that happens, right? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Been there. Been there a few times. Yeah. Um, that's really that's really nice. It's re- really heartening to hear, actually. Um, 
Uh, you know, I have some other observations about Australian medicine um, from from students I've tutored over there in uh, Northern Territory and um, South Australia and uh, colleagues, my wife's colleagues' experiences. But so it's it's nice. It's really nice to hear that. And I think maybe that's the difference between being in a big tertiary state capital uh you know medical center versus being out in a in a rural and remote place as well so um you've talked about some uh some challenges that i think you you perhaps you personally didn't perceive um as as massively negative um but have you actually had any experiences that you would categorize as closer to the workplace bullying or um, discrimination on the basis of your gender or, um, or harassment or even um, you know, a sort of racial discrimination since you've arrived in, in Canada as an Australian trainee or anything like that? Is, is, is there anything you've, you could share and, and how you coped with and moved past that? So um, the one that comes to mind was uh, my first year in uh clinical rotations. So in Australia, we did, I was straight out of high school into an undergrad program. So the first three years is um, science, and then we move into uh, clinical environments. And so I was part of a rotation internal med with two girls and a guy. Uh, So two female medical students, one male medical student, and we were asked to wear white coats. Uh, So wore our white coats each day. And it was it was clear from the attitude and the way he would speak to us that he didn't really like me or probably my other female colleague, but I was more feeling it personally towards myself. Um, and uh, there'd be decent amount of you're wrong if I would be presenting a patient. And then this one day, I remember I had to wash my white coat because it wasn't specifically very clean so I had put it in the wash and forgotten to grab it out the next day so I went to work without it knowing there'd probably be consequences and sure enough we're walking down the hallway in the morning to do rounds and I didn't have my white coat on and he specifically says to me where's your white coat it's a white coat required um, rotation stood next to me was my male colleague without his white coat on and he had not worn one for the entire rotation so that was a clear I don't like you (laughs) and I did I I didn't like it it felt really uncomfortable to do an entire rotation eight or ten weeks with this one supervisor who clearly doesn't like you and and more to even got the feeling of you shouldn't be a doctor from gosh like you should, there's no way you're going to succeed kind of attitude from him. And at the time I was very unhappy about it. And, and I remember when I, I topped Queensland in the clinical component of the uh, Royal Australian college of family physician exam. And I'm like, that's for you. <laughs> it's like I showed you yeah, yeah. that I am good at clinical medicine, but it had tainted a lot of the experience of um, those clinical days of am I good enough? Um, yeah. Can I do this type of thinking had come really out of that encounter. Uh, and there was one other example which 
I thought was going to be a uh, deja vu of that experience. So when I did vascular surgical rotation uh, later on in my medical career in a big city hospital, um, we turn up and there's this big <laughs> dark head this time, vascular surgeon. Like he was enormous, like as in uh, towered over me. Yeah, And uh, we, we go into the first room to see his uh, list of patients for the day. And he's like, what's wrong with this patient? And myself and this, uh, my, my colleague, who's also female um, and, and was really struggling because she was also learning the language. So she'd come from a different uh, cultural place and had gone yeah. back to medicine. She was a fully trained um, physician, but had come back to medicine because yeah. we wouldn't acknowledge her medical school in Australia. So she was doing really like, really hard work um, to, to have to go back and do medical school again. Oh my, oh my goodness. Anyway, credits to her. Yeah. Says, What's wrong with this patient? And we both look at each other and look at him. We're like, we don't know. <laughs> then we, we walk to the next room and he's like, and what's wrong with this patient? And we look at each other, look at him. We're like, we don't know. We did that for the entire, I think, unfortunately, he only had like 10 patients in hospital. It was about, it was an hour of dressing down. And at the end of it, he says, by tomorrow, you will know. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, geez. Now, yeah. to our credit, yeah. we stayed all day and we knew those patients inside and out by the next day. Oh my goodness, we weren't going to let that happen again. That was a terrifying and terrible experience. Now, because we had showed up so well prepared the next day, we had a fantastic term where we could do amazing things within mm. our vascular term. And he actually turned out to be a very excellent teacher if you were interested and if you showed mm that level of commitment to his patients and his team but that was not the way to learn that yeah no that was really frightening yeah um so i <laughs> yeah I, I could have imagined going home in tears every single day of that rotation um yeah what one day was enough <laughs> yeah <laughs> so so what do you think i mean um we were talking before um, we started recording about, you know, you're, you're a very confident person, a confident doctor now. Um, how did you become this this person that you are now, you know, when you've had such experiences that can keep some people down for longer? Mm -hmm. Yeah, great question. I think um, being – so that experience with my rural supervisor and seeing him – talking to the doctors in the city and having to advocate so fiercely for his patients and helping the doctors in the city understand where he is and what resources he had was the beginnings of my ability to advocate for my patients. So when I realized this is not about me and me being frightened of calling you the big city doctor, this is about me wanting fiercely for my patients. Then it felt outside of myself. It felt bigger than me. Yeah, yeah. And I was like happier. Yeah, yeah. And, and I and I knew the rules of engagement. So the rules of engagement were, as a rural physician ringing the big city hospital, sit down and write out the concise summary of what you are asking for. So what is the big ticket red flag items about this patient and what do you need? 
Yeah. Okay. So this is Dr. Smith in this town. And I have a patient, 19 year old male, who's been thrown out of the windshield found on the highway and his GCS is four. I need you to come get him. Okay. So when we're put in situations where we're advocating for something bigger than ourselves, that was the growth of that self-confidence. And then if that person was going to give me the five questions, I'm going to show up and give it back to them. Yeah. That I think is where the start of the courage came from is not about me and my needs, but about my patient and their needs. So that yeah. was the, the beginning of self-confidence and self-confidence can be learned. So that in a, so as a, again, emergency department physician, I think it's really important when things go badly. So when bad outcomes happen, there's two steps to this. One is here's what happened And here is how I would do it again if faced in that exact scenario. Mm -hmm. From the clinical perspective, we learn from mistakes. Yeah. Okay. Here is the outcome. Here are the steps that got us there. And if I had the opportunity, here is what I would do differently. Versus I'm a terrible doctor. That is not useful to anybody. And it's not true. Okay, you never went in there with intent to harm. And yes, you're going to have yourself a moment where you are so devastated by that outcome that you will blame yourself and everything about your, and you'll want to walk away from medicine, right? Yeah. But we need to notice ourselves doing that and separate it and say, I went in there fully trained and did my very best and bad things happened, and it's not because I am bad. I am still professional. I am still Mm -hmm. trained. I am still a doctor. I'm still worthy to see patients. And when we know that about ourselves, it can become so much easier to do the hard work of going through the steps of what happened without the negative self-talk about how you are and having your back. So it's not with arrogance that we come at this. It's with that self-confidence to know I am trained, I am worthy. Yeah. And splitting those up. And that's part of any emergency department physicians thinking. We think and think and think and think and think about all of the scenarios over and over so that we hone our skill for next time. So we're faster, easier, and more efficient, more effective, um, get better outcomes where possible the next time we see that thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's part of our job, uh, part of troubleshooting. Then there's the other part. And so we often shy away from examining bad outcomes because we want to just throw shit on ourselves. And we can realize that's optional. Adding that suffering, completely optional. Mm. holding ourselves with compassion and saying, I'm human, I make mistakes Mm. is such a valuable skill to learn. And I don't think I really was able to um, understand what was happening about that reflection until I'd done that coaching work. Yeah. Until I'd done that certification in coaching. So then when a bad experience has happened and you're holding that so heavy in your person, 
you can see the bias that's coming in. Whenever you're seeing a patient in front of you and you want to over-investigate them because what if they've got the tiny thing that's going to kill them too and then you've got to do this all over again and it's so painful. Yeah. You'd be like, but wait, I know where this is coming from. Yeah. This is just because <laughs> this other thing happened and I'm thinking that it's on me and I did something wrong. And so I now need to over-investigate and do, and then stepping back and saying, actually, what do I think is true? What else is possible for this patient? What do I actually need to do? So it moves me back out of those situations a lot faster. So I can stop the suffering a lot easier and a lot faster. And I can help physicians see when they're doing that to themselves. Yeah. And once we see it, then we have the opportunity to say, do I still want to keep beating myself up? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. Very, um, very, very easy to develop that hypervigilance and that regret bias, isn't it? After those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And also, you know, to be, to be very personally affected by things that go wrong and for you to not to see past that, there's this phenomenon of being the second victim. Um, yeah you know and uh but yeah your your techniques are fantastic they are great great learning for for um our listeners so thank you so much for sharing those no problem so um i mean in addition to what has been excellent advice um around you know navigating your way through workplace challenges um do you have any other advice for our listeners on how to become a strong, kind leader? Great question. (laughs) (laughs) I think that recognizing our team has talents and we don't immediately know what those talents are. And so being curious and liking the humans in front of us. So whether that's um, taking that into the patient room and liking our patients or taking that into our medical student um, relationships and saying, these are humans that I like and I want to get to know and I want to know their story. Um, And with our team, what are their strengths and what are they interested in doing? And they have some fun backgrounds that we don't even know about unless we like ask them. So I think that being a leader is about um, not being above but being belonging, it might be that you're bringing an innovation piece or a a vision of where we want to go, but the actual being part of a team, you won't know better than we are all part of the team. Even our student doctors, they're not below us. They're our colleagues and we want them to be our bestest colleagues. So we absolutely want to foster those relationships and love them. Um, So I think that is the leadership's style, I am not a, I'm, I'm leading you and you're coming with me. It's more of a, this is where we want to go. How do we get there, everybody? What are you all bringing to the table that could help us towards that? What are you all seeing that I'm not? Yeah. 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 That's, that's lovely. Um, and especially, you know, giving everyone that sort of that parity, everyone has a role, like how, when you were doing rural and remote, remote medicine as a student and you were seen as a, a vital cog in the machine you know without without you being there there wouldn't be anyone to apply pressure to that wound to to stop it from hosing everywhere while the other person could get on and do something you know so mm-hmm. um and you are passing that um in turn on to your students and and saying that they're uh, they're an essential part of the team and you're sort of paying that forward so 
Um, I love that. I love that message. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay. So what would be your take home leadership messages for, for the listeners then? Okay. So I think the big one is that you are the executive director of your clinical day, the d- executive decision maker, and that we can, that it, that can be learned and it can be um, used to help you redesign that clinical day so that you can have more efficiency, less um, task switching in your day, which can help achieve your goals for the day as well of getting things done. So that's kind of the first take-home message I was thinking about. Um, self-confidence can be learned. So it's that not arrogance, but that confidence of that you have your own back about your decisions and that you refuse to beat yourself up. That even in that context of uh, something bad happening in medicine, it happens, you're human. And then choosing just not to add suffering, choosing not to beat yourself up about that, that we are worthy to see patients. We have a notice a certificate that says so we don't have to go beneath that we can always say i'm worthy to see patients and this is why i have a certificate that says so i think that's um a really important piece that we Mm. think it's okay to say shitty things to ourselves yeah and that we can get away with it but it's harming us yeah so we can be our own worst bully yeah yeah so mean to ourselves so listening to that um inner voice and being kinder and more compassionate towards ourselves um and that you probably are a leader already at somewhere within your life that leadership is something that you can uh take step by step and become kind of like surprise yeah, so many yeah. years later you're like oh i'm in leadership uh, I, I know <laughs> when you asked me to come on the podcast you're like with the podcast of leadership i'm like i have to rethink my entire brain about how i am a leader <laughs> like, oh yeah i could see that now <laughs> yeah yeah i say to, yeah I, I i say to all even medical students all medical students i say you're, you're already leaders um you know in in uh, in your own way around around your university campus you know there are people if people are looking looking up to you for whatever reason, then you have a responsibility that goes with that. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I think I think we all are. And as you say, outside of outside of medicine, people with all their fascinating uh, the things that we had to do to show how amazing we were to get into medical school. You know, music and and sport and drama and all of this that just falls by the wayside over the years. Um, we, we have all those, those skills. Um, and I think what's, um, what's great about what you're doing uh, from the charting side of things is that you are enabling people to reclaim their lives, their, their extracurricular lives, if, if you like. And so they have more time to relax and more time to rest. And so they can do all of these other things that we've talked about, these good leadership things, much easier when you're more more rested and more relaxed. Um, so it's a really invaluable service that you, you're providing. So thank you for that. Um, okay, so um, we're coming towards the end. I'd, I'd firstly like to find out what you're currently excited to be working on that you'd like to share with the listeners. Um, I think 
that the Chatting Champions program is part of what I'll let them know about. So Chatting Champions is a lifetime membership for physicians where they can uh, come inside the program and get all the help they need and tools and community to help them get home with today's work done. So if that's something that your listeners are struggling with, um, we have what they need inside the Chatting Champions program. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, and yeah, I would urge anyone um, struggling with their their charting and um, the what's it you call it the, the the mathematics of their day, the kind of working out, put, putting all those pieces of the jigsaw together in the most efficient way. Um, any any issues, long any mathematical modelling issues they have, <laughs> EMR <laughs> issues, uh, reach out to to Sarah. And uh, talking of which, if if um, and I'm sure, uh, and I hope a lot of the listeners will reach out to you. What's the best way for them to do so? Yeah, so they can go to the website, chartingcoach.ca. Um, I'm on Instagram a lot of the time, and that's at chartingcoach. Brilliant. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'll uh, also put those in the episode um, show notes. Um, but, um, yeah, do you have any other any closing comments that you'd like to make? Well, thank you for the opportunity to um, step out of my uh, normal day and look at all the different hats I have worn and do continue to wear <laughs> it was an experience to try and gather them all up and figure out what's still in there. <laughs> so it was really yes. nice catching up with you today, Adam. A very big um, oversized hat stand is required, but hopefully <laughs> can be replaced by a smaller one. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm so, I'm so glad you came on the show. Um, it, it's been everything I'd, I'd hoped it would be. So thank you very much for, for coming on, sharing all your wonderful advice and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, Adam. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me and my guest on the Inspiring Women Leaders podcast today. I really hope you enjoyed listening to the episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you did, please download the show and leave it a rating and a review so that together we can share the amazing lessons we've learned from my guests with listeners far and wide and help as many aspiring leaders as possible. Most of my podcasts will also be uploaded to my YouTube channel, Dr. Adam, Physician Coach. So please check out my channel there and hopefully you'll find some videos on similar topics to watch and enjoy. Finally, I have some exciting new group coaching programs and a membership scheme in the pipeline. So please keep a regular eye on my website, www.dradamharrison.com. That's www.dradamharrison.com for updates. Thank you again for your time today. And please join me next time, two weeks from now, on Alternate Wednesdays, for another brilliant episode of Inspiring Women Leaders.